Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Richard Vetter, the economist we spoke with yesterday, cites a study in a recent commentary that claims that Americans, in spite of our easy access to information on the Internet, are actually more ignorant today than in the past. Another study, he points out, indicates that in spite of our easy access to one another through social media, Skype, Zoom, dating websites, virtual clubs, and interest groups, that we are, in fact, more friendless than in the pre-Internet past. Both these studies indicate that as wonderful as technology is, it doesn't necessarily produce what we might expect. Paradoxically, it might actually produce the opposite of what we intend. Facebook doesn't increase our capacity for friends, but rather reduces it. Google doesn't banish our ignorance. It actually increases it by creating the illusion that study is unnecessary, since we imagine that anything we want to know is just a few keystrokes away. I'd like to look at some words of Jesus concerning friendship in John chapter 15 that I think addresses part of this problem. I'll begin at verse 11. I have told you this, Jesus is speaking here in John chapter 15, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy might be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I have told you everything I have heard from my father. It was not you who chose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you this I command you, love one another. You remember those old Frankenstein movies with Boris Karloff? <laughs> now, I confess, I hadn't thought of these for years, but an evangelical pastor, Tim Keller, was looking at this particular text in the Gospel of John. I came across a homily, or sermon that he gave, and he said this, reminded, this text reminded him of the Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> you don't get it? You, you don't see the <laughs> how Bride of Frankenstein is relevant to this text? Let me let me make the case. In The Bride of Frankenstein, there's an episode where the Frankenstein monster stumbles into a blind man's cottage. It's deep in the forest, and the blind man, of course, can't see the monster. The monster's grotesque. It's hideous. But he does figure out that the monster can't speak. And so he says, are you afflicted as I? I cannot see, and you cannot speak. Maybe we can help each other. We can be friends. So this blind beggar man then gets down on his knees and he says, I thank you, gracious Lord, for you have heard my relentless prayers and you have sent me a friend in my terrible loneliness. And so for a pitifully short time, uh, the monster lives in the blind man's cottage and he listens to the music that the blind man plays on his violin. The blind man teaches him to speak. I mean, the only words the monster learns, like good and food and more, he learns right there. And uh, Keller makes the point that the only humanity that this, again, monster develops, he develops in that cottage, and he develops it right there in the spot where a person grabs him by the hand and calls him friend. Now, sadly, the friendship ends because a group of hunters come to the cottage, they see the monster, they flip out, they try to attack the monster, they burn down the cottage, and the last thing you see is the monster kind of groping back out into the cold wilderness, just saying, friend, friend. The point, though, is that there is nothing more humanizing than friendship. There's nothing more life-engendering than friendship. And 
there's no more horrible pain or terrible situation than outright loneliness. Greg Popcheck and I do this social science apologetics feature where we look at research in the social and medical sciences that demonstrate that a Catholic way of life leads to joy, human flourishing, leads to human beatitude, happiness in this world and the next. And there's been a lot of research done on the consequences of loneliness or aloneness. People with fewer friends are, in fact, more susceptible to disease, heart attacks, premature death. The absence of friends, uh, the absence of close, enjoyable relations, when you can't share, right, when you don't have people to share with, that can kill you prematurely. Friendship, on the other hand, is life-giving. Separation from others is death. So what is it about us? Why? Why do we need friendship? Why are we social beings? Why do we need friendship? Why do we need friends? Well, I'll let me give my, try my hand at this. Number one, we need friends because we're created to image God. And within the nature of the Godhead, within the nature of the Trinity, those members experience love and friendship from before the creation of the world. When Jesus is saying that he and the Father have love between them, he is using the Greek word for love there, which is most commonly used to refer to friendship love, brotherly love, Philadelphia. Phileo is the word, not the unconditional love word that we talk about all the time, agape. It's not that. It's phileo, the friendship love word. And basically he's saying, as the Father and I have been eternally friends, so I'm befriending you forever. Yes, best friends forever with Jesus, I guess. The triune God, the Trinity, is the basis of all human relationships. Trinity is not just some abstract, impenetrable theological mystery. It, in fact, has a, has a tremendous explanatory power. It explains some of the most practical and common features of our life together. The Trinity is a society of persons. That's why, by nature, we are social beings. We are in the image of the triune God. The Trinity explains why that monster becomes human under the influence of a human. We're made for friendship by the God who is himself a society of friends. Before anything existed, there was friendship between the members of the Trinity. They communicated with one another. They loved one another. Friendship was never created. It was always there in the nature of the Godhood. Uh, There was never a time when friendship was not. Again, from all eternity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, delighting in each other. So friendship's basic to our very existence. It's at the bottom of everything. So think of this for a second. You've got the creator God, right? He looks over his creation. We talk about this all the time in uh, Genesis chapter 1. He looks over everything and he says, hey, that's good. He evaluates his artistry. He thinks well of it. But in the second chapter, he looks at Adam and he says, hmm, Something here is not good. It's not good that the man should be alone. Now, remember, this is before the fall. This is before sin enters human experience. But Adam, the first man, is alone. He's lonely. In fact, he wasn't lonely because he was imperfect. Sin hadn't, you know, entered the world. He was lonely because he was like God. And therefore, since he was like God, he had to have someone to love, someone to work with, someone to share with. You know, all of our other problems, our anger, our anxieties, fear, cowardice, those do arise out of sin, out of our imperfections. But loneliness is, is the one problem we have because we're made in the image of God. Loneliness, in a sense, 
is the one problem that arises out of the fact of our perfection. (laughs) We are created in God's image. So if you're lonely, it's not necessarily because something's wrong with you. You naturally aspire to friendship because you were created by those who are eternal friends. In fact, the less you need others, the less you're like God. I mean, hell ultimately is what? It's utter aloneness, eternal darkness. Yeah, eternal separation from God and others. So why do we need friends? We need friends because, one, we image God. Okay, that's number one. We need friends because we image God. Secondly, why do we need friends? Well, we need friends because human friends let us down, and we need God. That's why (laughs) we image God. That's why we need friends. But secondly, the reason we need friends is because those friends will let us down, and that will drive us to eternal friendship with God. Our actual need for a friend is so profound that no human friend will ever be able to deliver the ultimate satisfaction we want. And I, you can say this about marriage, too, which is the highest of human friendship love. I mean, I have a, I have a friendly acquaintance uh, who rebelled against his pastor, who was actually his father, and eventually rebelled against the Christian faith. And he finally concluded that the only love he could count on was the love of his wife. She became his new faith. Now, I love Sally, and, uh, and I know that I would be less of who God created me to be if not for her friendship. But I also know she can't possibly carry the burden of being my God. She can't be my divine friend. I mean, oftentimes marriages are entered into with the expectation that somehow the spouse is going to perfectly complete me or change me or support me. And we end up expecting our spouse to do what only God can do. And our spouses will let us down, maybe deliberately, but they're going to let us down no matter how hard they try because they can't be who God is. And we are made ultimately for friendship with God. And we shouldn't cast our spouses to carry burdens not intended for humans. They're not God's surrogates, as wonderful as our spouses are. Even Jesus noticed this need for human friendship. At the moment of his greatest emotional need in Gethsemane, he asked his best friends to come with him. Yeah, Jesus had 12 disciples, 12 apostles. But within that 12, he had three who were closer to him than others, Peter, James, and John. So at the moment of his greatest need in Gethsemane, his friends cut out. They go to sleep. They're going to abandon him later, and they're going to flee from him later. These are, of course, the old fair-weather friends. But what happens? Jesus continues on to union with the Father. He doesn't stop because his friends have abandoned him. He uses it as the occasion to engage even more deeply with his Father. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time being bitter and upset by letting people, because we let people down and people let us down. And um, I think we should point out that Christianity rests upon an understanding of God in which friendship is from eternity. It's not created. It's intrinsic to the very nature of God. No other religion that I know of holds this out. 
You know, there are some Eastern religions that affirm a personal God, but many, many, many do not. They have uh, the final reality, Brahman, for instance, is impersonal, beyond good and evil, beyond personhood, beyond emotion, beyond grief, joy, or sorrow. The ultimate oneness, the ultimate solitary. Ancient Greeks said that God was without, was apathetic, basically, uh, without passion, without feeling, not capable of relationship. Again, not Christianity. The triune God of Scripture is bursting with love, joy, friendship, creativity before the creation of the world. And Jesus embodies that divine nature. Yeah, that's why we also say that the saints are friends of God. We should take great joy in this. Our God is not just a solitary or someone who needs us to love In his very being, he is love, joy, and ultimately friendship. So when Jesus says we are his friends, that is a promise of eternal beatitude.